Welcome to a community-supported and guest-produced edition of the Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Dennis Kucinich, Rachel Maddow, Mike Malloy, Keith Olbermann, Ring of Fire, Randy Rhodes, Sam Cedar, and the Young Turks. I hate this agreement. I'm going to vote against the major portion of this agreement, even though I negotiated it. Because I think that the White House is in a cloud somewhere in terms of understanding the realities in Iraq. Then why would you negotiate this bill, Congressman? I hate this bill, too. And I really hate that the people I have to yell at about it, David Obie, are Democrats like you. Who never should have, quote, negotiated something like this in the first place, even if you are going to vote against it. Once again, the president is going to be handed a blank check by the Republicans. That's Carol Shea Porter of New Hampshire. Right, of course, that this is a blank check for more war. Wrong, however, that the Republicans are the ones handing it to him. The Republicans in Congress are irrelevant. Just like the Democrats were irrelevant in Congress when they were in the minority, the Republicans in Congress are the minority party, and they do not matter. The Democrats run the House. The Democrats run the Senate. They get to do what they want. And I still haven't seen a credible, non-disgusting explanation for why the Democrats are capitulating like this, handing Bush a no-strings, toothless, fully-funded war extension plan. The two explanations I have seen today for the Democrats capitulating to Bush like this on the war are these. First, there's the official public line that, ooh, just wait, this this fall, this September, this really sets us up for the real showdown that'll happen sometime in September. That's when we'll stop the war. I think that's total bullpucky. Since what we're going to hear in September is in this much vaunted progress report from General Petraeus is that it's a tough fight and there's bad things there and we need to stay longer. It's the same thing we've been hearing since 2003. Senator Russ Feingold was asked about the we'll get around to stopping the war in September argument today when he was interviewed on MSNBC. I think he hit it out of the park. You know what's going to happen in September? They'll bring General Petraeus back and they'll say, just give me to the end of the year. I think things are turning around and then we'll be out of session. We'll come back in late January, February. And the fact is a thousand more troops will lose their lives in a situation that doesn't make any sense. And it's hurting our military. It's hurting our country. This should not wait till September. Amen. The other explanation, the other inane explanation for today for for why the Democrats are capitulating to Bush on keeping the war going is what's in the New York Times uh, news analysis piece on the Democrats decision here. It's being quoted left, right and center today. Carl Hulse of the Times quotes unnamed senior Democrats and other officials who explain it this way. Democrats say they did not relish the prospect of leaving Washington for a Memorial Day break, leaving themselves vulnerable to White House attacks that they were on vacation while the troops were wanting. That criticism seemed more politically threatening to them than the anger Democrats knew they would draw from the left by bowing to Mr. Bush. Okay, this is the non-public behind-the-scenes explanation the Democrats are anonymously giving reporters for why they're capitulating on the war. The explanation is, we're afraid that Bush will say we don't support the troops. Hey, guess what? Bush is going to say you don't support the troops. Bush and the Republicans and right-wing talk radio hosts and bloggers and charlatan preachers and old dirty men wearing sandwich boards on street corners are all going to say Democrats hate America and Democrats hate the troops and Democrats are weak no matter what you do. 
That's what they do. That's what they say. These are the people who colored Band-Aids purple and stuck them to their faces at the Republican National Convention last time around to mock John Kerry's war wounds from Vietnam. Welcome to American politics. You're going to get called a sissy. Get over it and do the right thing. You want to know how to beat that thing? You want to know how to beat it? You want to know how to beat the claim that you're weak? Don't be weak. Don't be freaking hysterical wusses who pass a freaking bill that keeps the war going, even though you yourselves won't even vote for it because you're afraid somebody might say something mean and not true about you. The reason people think that Democrats are weak is not because Democrats don't fight wars. It's because moves like this on this stupid war funding bill show that they are weak politically, which is why the kick-ass liberals need to take over the Democratic Party and save it. Lightweight step at the side when we come in. Feel it in your chest, the syllables get pumping. People on the street can panic and start running. Words on loose leaf sheet, complete coming. I jump on my mind, I summon the rhyme, I'm dumping. Healing the blind, I promise to let the sun in. Sick of the dark ways, we march to the drumming. Jump when they tell us that they want to see jumping. Fuck that, I want to see some fist pumping. Miss something, take back what's yours. Say something that you know they might attack you for. Cause I'm sick of being treated like I had before. Like a stupid standing for what I'm standing for. Like this war's really just a different brand of war Like it doesn't cater to rich and abandoned poor Like they understand you in the back of the jet When you can't put gas in your tank These fuckers are laughing the way to the bank and cashing a check Asking you to have compassion and have some respect For a leader so nervous in an obvious way Stuttering and mumbling for nightly news to replay And the rest of the world watching at the end of the day In the living room laughing like, what did he say? There are lots of ways to communicate with the show, and I encourage you to do so. You can join the community forum to speak with other listeners, send emails direct to me at hippiesympathizer at gmail.com, or have your voice heard by the entire audience by calling the comment line at 206-202-0195. Links to all of these at bestofluffpodcast.com. Ten years old or something to see Another kid my age drug under a jeep Taking a bound and found later under a tree I wonder if he thought the next one could be me Do you see the soldiers that are out today To brush the dust from bulletproof vests away It's ironic, at times like this you pray But a bomb blew the mosque up yesterday There's bombs on the buses, bikes, roads Inside your market, your shops, your clothes My dad, he's got a lot of fear, I know But enough pride inside, not to let that show My brother had a book he would hold with pride A little red cover with a broken spine on the back he hand wrote a quote inside when the rich wage war it's the poor who die meanwhile the leader just talks away I can't go on without saying how angry I am already about the Democrats vote There's, it's an upcoming vote on Iraq. It, it's coming up the house is voting today and it's just uh, I realized today that we didn't lose this vote today we lost it several years ago And we lost it the day that we conceded to the Republicans that opposing Bush's Iraq policy would be hurting the troops. Okay, now we never conceded that. The listeners didn't concede that. Certainly the Young Turks in America didn't concede that. But Democratic legislators absolutely positively did. And I remember when Steny Hoyer, a couple of months ago, in the middle of a debate, rushed onto the floor of the House and 
you know, to presumably to yell at the Republicans because they said that the Democrats were hurting the troops. And I thought, well, this might be a positive moment, right? Right? Because here comes the the second person in charge of the House Democrats, and he's going to stand up and say, no, we're not hurting the troops. And that is what he did. So in the beginning, I was like, hey, look at this, a little gumption, a little fight in the Democrats. I like it. But then what did he say? He said, we are not hurting the troops. We will definitely fund this war. No, you idiot. Once you let the Republicans equate funding this war and hurting the troops, like if you don't fund the war, you're hurting the troops. If you fund the war, you're helping the troops. You've lost the whole battle. And for no reason, that doesn't make any sense. How does putting these troops in the middle of a hopeless quagmire where they're going to get killed and wounded for the next six months or maybe even six years, however long it's going to take, how does that help the troops? How How is taking them out of that hurting the troops? Once you buy into that talking point, you're done. Yeah, and, and also this whole idea of the Democrats now saying almost in unison, the ones who seem to be uh, poised to support this, is that it's not a blank check. It is a blank check because if there's not an, an expiration then it's a blank check. If there's not an opportunity here to say, okay, we're going to give you this money until such and such a time, then it's a blank check because then you come back and the same thing presumably is going to happen. Look, I want to do this a little later in the show, but I can't help myself. We've got to open it up. Let's let's take calls, 866-303-2270, 866-303-2270. Look, this is, to, in my mind, and believe me, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, a complete and utter capitulation. I mean, we got nothing out of this. Nothing. Nothing. And for the, for Harry Reid and Nancy Pelosi and Steny Hoyer to come talk to me about how they that this is the beginning of the end of the Iraq war and that they held the president in check is preposterous. Well, you know, it's it's also preposterous because they haven't explained why that is. I mean, they're, they're saying it as, as a talking point without going... If, if Nancy Pelosi thinks this is the beginning of the end of the Iraq war... Okay, tell me why. You know, tell, tell, explain what about this is the beginning of the end. And if this is the beginning of the end, and this is how it's going, my God, I mean, the end will be in, you know, 3012. Well, that's the whole point. We don't know when the end will be. If it's the beginning of the end, tell us when the end's going to be. Right, because this is, we haven't, I mean, it's not a beginning at all. I, oh, yeah. God. It's or it mad. could be, a be, it is a beginning. We're giving more money, there are going to be more troops, and there's going to be more armament. So, I mean, that, that's not, a, that's not an end. That doesn't sound like the end to me.
phone our panel for today, David Sirota, best-selling author of Hostile Takeover, How Big Money and Corruption Conquered Our Government and How We Take It Back. You can check him out at davidsirota.com. And Victoria Jones, managing editor and White House correspondent for Talk Radio News Service at talkradionews.com. We may be joined a little bit later by uh, Steve Clemens from the Washington Note. In the meantime, uh, welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, now, let's start, obviously, uh, with the uh, supplemental funding. Uh, Victoria, why don't you just give us a little bit of a breakdown uh, what happened this week, the supplemental bill, the I guess the second attempt uh, to, uh, to send a bill to George Bush uh, to continue to fund the war uh, was made, and... Um, this one passed. It did not include timelines, though, did it? It did not include timelines. I mean, you just basically laid it out better than I could. Uh, you, you laid it out. What, what is being said about this, and, and it's interesting and, and maybe a little unfair, is the, the banner headlines everywhere is uh, Democrats caved. That's, that's, that's the storyline that's being fed by, by the media, by Republicans, um, and by some Democrats also, and by Democrats in the media, interestingly. Um, and we had a split among Republicans on this. Not so much of a split, though, but a, quite a big split among Democrats on this as they tried to decide whether they were going to continue to be holdouts um, and wanting a timeline or whether they were going to fund the troops now and just hold out for another four months and get stuck into this and get back on track with it again. Now, uh, David uh, Sirota, the, uh, the vote in the, uh, the Senate, 70% of the Democrats uh, voted for it in the Senate. Uh, the numbers were almost reversed in the House. Uh, the majority of Democrats uh, voted against it. Uh, but that doesn't tell the whole story. And you're one of those people, uh, David, who believes that the Democrats caved. First, tell us uh, the, the whole story about the way this vote was set up and why you think the Democrats uh, caved, if that, in fact, is what you believe. Yeah, it, it, it is. Uh, the, the key thing to look at was what happened in the House. Um, every bill that comes to the floor in the House comes with a, a bill that's known as a rule. The rule sets the terms of debate uh, for the underlying bill at hand. The rules are where the real power of Congress is, and, and unfortunately what happened, uh, the reason the numbers were reversed in the House on the final vote was because they jerry-rigged a, a vote on the rule to basically help Republicans pass the bill. And here's, here's what I'm talking about. The rule basically didn't have an underlying bill. The only thing the rule allowed in order was a vote, an up or down vote, on the Republican plan to fund the war without timelines. And so the rule comes, obviously, from the Democratic leadership. So essentially what we had was the Democratic leadership passed a rule uh, that basically allowed the, most of their members to look like they were voting against the war, when in fact they, most of them, all of them, except for seven, voted for the rule that set up the situation for this uh, blank check to pass. So it was a very, very, very devious way of doing things in the House. So you basically got, you know, Democratic members going to the floor saying, I'm voting against the Republican bill, I'm voting against the blank check, yet, again, almost all of them voted for the rule, which both, look, both the AP and the Washington Post noted, uh, set up, was the key thing in setting up the real passage of the blank check. All right, so Victoria, tell me from your perspective, why you think it's unfair to say that the Democrats uh, caved in this regard. I mean, they sent a bill that had timelines. 
uh, from the House and the Senate, and uh, Bush vetoed it. So uh, tell me, from your perspective, why you don't see this as a capitulation? Well, I'm not saying it's necessarily from my perspective, but I, I think that um, from the perspective of some Democrats, it is the case. Um, I, I think that some people could say, look, it, Democrats always said that they would fund the troops. They always said that that was something that they would do. And um, it was clear that they didn't have the votes to be able to sustain this. And if they were going to just continue like this, they were just at some point going to be accused of not funding the troops. And if they're accused of not funding the troops, once that word starts to get out, then they've lost politically. And any support that they have politically in the country, which at the moment is huge in terms of not supporting the war, is, is going to start to trickle away. Or, or at the very least, it could. Well, here's, here's Carl Levin making essentially that argument today on Face the Nation. This is number four. But, Senator Levin, uh, the Congress went ahead last week and gave the president the money to go ahead and continue fighting the war, at least uh, through September. Is that an indication in your mind that, that uh, Congress simply does not have the power to stop this war? Well, what it is an indication of is we're going to support the troops. There's no difference between Democrats and Republicans on that point. When those troops are there and they're in harm's way, we are not going to either cut funding or prohibit funding for our troops. We're together on that. The big divide between Democrats and Republicans, which was shown in, in that vote uh, for a bill which the president vetoed, is that Democrats are determined to tell the Iraqi leaders that their dawdling has got to end, the open-ended commitment's over, and that we are going to begin to reduce our presence in 120 days as a way of forcing them to take responsibility for their own country. That's where the difference is. But as long as those troops are in harm's way, most Democrats, 70 uh, percent of us in the Senate, are going to vote to provide them funding. All right, so David Sirota, uh, what, what, what's wrong with that strategy? This notion of like, look, we attempted, uh, we, we attempted to uh, to do this one way. We can't do it now, and now we're going to wait for September. Well, there's a couple things wrong with it. The first thing is as what I call the the innocent bystander myth. This myth that every single Democratic lawmaker wants us to believe that they're the innocent bystanders. They have no power whatsoever to do anything. And so they're just trying to do what they can to help the troops, but we should feel all sorry for them that they have no power to stop the war, when in fact a quick reading of the United States Constitution shows that the Founding Fathers put the power of the purse in the Congress in order to be a co-equal branch of government. These people could set a time when funding will run out so that the President of the United States would be forced to end the war. The idea that, that somehow providing blank check after blank check after blank check actually helps troops uh, is ridiculous. And I should say the idea that setting a, a time in the future when funds would be cut off uh, somehow hurts the troops and would leave them basically naked and unarmed in the middle of Baghdad is positively absurd. It is absolutely absurd. It has no historical relevance. It has no basis in fact. The way the Congress is supposed to act if it wants to end the war is to use its power of the purse to force the President of the United States as a co-equal branch to change course, change the plan, and redeploy.
This show is produced with the help of the members of the Best of the Left community. You too can be a part of the show, and we would love your help. You can submit information about great clips you've heard, volunteer to help edit these clips for the show, or actually become an occasional guest producer. For more information, please visit the community at bestoftheleftpodcast.com. years ago that there is no two-party system alive in America. True progressive Democrats regarded Nader as a burned-out oddball, given really to absurd overstatement when he tried to warn us of that. But Harry Reid and Nancy Pelosi and all the spineless Democrats who caved into the demands of this demented president are all exhibit A for what that oddball Nader was arguing. These Democrats were sent to Washington for a very specific reason. No question why they're supposed to be there. We wanted them to stop the war and bring our soldiers home before any more of those soldiers came home in a box or came home missing limbs or came home cynical and confused and amazed that our president would ask him to kill 100,000 innocent Iraqi civilians in a tragic war based on pathetic lies all the way from the very top of the food chain in the Republican leadership. That's where those lies came from. Well, this week, Harry Reid and his gutless Democratic leadership showed us that there really is no difference between them and this dysfunctional administration. Trust me, trust the words of creepy old Ralph Nader. There was not one meaningful difference between the GOP and the Democrats on May 23rd when Democrat leadership compromised and caved in for a handful of silver. That's all it was. It's clear that leadership believed that their pet domestic projects were more important than preserving any character, preserving any class or conviction in the public eye. More importantly, their selfish political interests were more important than the promises they made to Democrat voters to end this ridiculous ridiculous Republican desert disaster that we've all lived with. If you're a Democrat who actually believed these spineless jokes we sent to Washington, if you thought that Biden or Obama or Clinton might be your candidate before they sat silent on this issue, do the only thing these weak-kneed Democrats seem to understand. Don't give them another dime of your money or another minute of your valuable time between now and 2008 or between now and the time they show some character and end the suffering from this war. You know, the euphoria of the 2006 Democratic successes is long gone. We're now back to cold truth reality. And part of that cold truth is that as a Democrat, you've been hustled again. But you can show some discipline. You can show some conviction. You can be an example for character and conviction that Democratic leadership lacks. 
Say no when you get that phone call for money. Say no when you get that request for your valuable time. Say hell no until these weak-kneed Democrats end this war and show us that Ralph Nader might be wrong, that yes, there is a difference between Democrats and regressive Republicans in America today. We really do still have a two-party system in America. Say no until we're sure of that. Hi everyone, Dennis here. I know this last week has been a very difficult one for all Americans who wanted to see the war brought to an end. After all, you elected a Democratic Congress in November of 2006 specifically to take a new direction in Iraq, and that direction was out. Unfortunately, the uh, Democrats have now uh, put ourselves in a position where we have created the circumstances for President Bush to continue the war through October. This uh, is not acceptable. It's not acceptable to me, and I know it's not acceptable to many of you. So what can we do about it? Well, the first thing I want you to know is the talk that, well, the votes just aren't there, needs to be explored a little bit more closely. The fact of the matter is, it's a routine item in Congress when Congress just refuses to produce a bill to fund something. We do not have to produce a bill to fund the war. We can use our power to withhold creating any legislation for the purpose of funding the war. Then the president will have to use the money that's in the pipeline to bring the troops home or face impeachment for refusing to do so. You know, it's really time for Congress to stand up to this president who keeps dragging this war out, who keeps saying, well, we're going to keep funding the war to support the troops. What kind of thought is that? This Congress has to understand that the American people are relying on it to end this war. Now, as you know, in the alternative, I've created uh, a bill, H.R. 1234, that sets the circumstances for the end of the war. It's the plan to end the war, but Congress has to take the first step in saying no more money. And so I'm urging you to follow 
uh, the progress of this debate. And we'll be in contact frequently on this as I bring you up-to-date reports about exactly what's happening in Washington. What happened this past week wasn't very pretty. And we have to uh, now begin planning for this autumn when the funds will run out for a whole new approach that insists that we are not going to continue to fund this war. Those who are running for president have a special obligation here. Most candidates have voted uh, anywhere from 90% of the time or more to fund the war, and every time you vote to fund the war, you fund to keep it going. And so we need to challenge everyone running for president to stop funding the war. And we need to challenge everyone in the Congress to use the power Congress has to say no. And we need to challenge our president. Start listening to the American people. Be honest with the American people. I thank all of you who are committed to peace. Because peace is inevitable if we're ready to take a stand for peace. War is not inevitable unless we just stand and watch events unfold and pretend that we can't do anything about it. Because you believe you can do something about it because you're organized and contacting people and organizing people to change the outcome. Uh, then peace is possible. So let's continue our effort and our commitment. Uh, this is Dennis. Thank you very much. things you can do to help support the show, but they only take a few seconds. Leave us a great customer review in the iTunes Music Store, dig the show on dig.com, and every month you can vote for the best of the left at podcastalley.com. Find links to all three of these most important sites on the right-hand side at bestoftheleftpodcast.com. Thanks for your support. What you read or where you get your news from caved on the Iraq Accountability Act because the president of the United States told the Democrats that they he dared them. He said, you send me the same damn bill you just sent me or you send me any bill, any bill at all that's got benchmarks or timetables for withdrawal. And I will use the awesome power that I have as president of the United States 
to get on the TV and to constantly tell the American people on behalf of the Republican Party that the Democrats have left our troops in Iraq on foreign soil uh, without bullets, without food and without water. I will do that because I'm going to veto anything you send me with any accountability. In it. Now, why? The question we should ask is, why didn't they do it anyway? And take that, those chances when two-thirds of the American people clearly don't want our troops there. I would have taken those odds. I would have done it. That would be me. If you ever send me to Congress, uh, I won't go. But if you ever ask me to go to Congress and I did go, I would actually stick my, my, my beautiful little heels into, the, into the, 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 the freaking floor of the house and I wouldn't move. And I'd just keep sending back the same bill over and over again so that I could say the president refuses to be held accountable by the legislative branch of government and the American people that we represent, and the president has left our troops on foreign soil without the funding they need. I would have done that. But the Democrats are so used to being smeared by the Republicans' awesome media machine, which you know exists. I mean, there's no liberal television. There's no, you know, very, very few uh, liberal voices on talk radio. And they were afraid that they wouldn't be able to keep up with the amount of, uh, of smearing and the amount of uh, attacks against their patriotism that would definitely, uh, that had already started. So that's where we find ourselves today. But just think of it this way. You know, George Bush is literally holding our soldiers hostage until he gets his $120 billion ransom that he's demanded for them. He has put a price on the soldiers' heads. Now, why would he leave the soldiers in utter chaos? Why wouldn't we have a uh, sovereign government governing Iraq? Because the president doesn't want Iraq to look anything like normal. The president wants the Iraqi parliament to fear for their freaking existence, to fear for their own lives at the hands of their own people, because their own people want us out of there. The parliament voted. The parliament wants us out of there because they think that we're a magnet for foreign fighters. We're a magnet for uh, 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 the insurgency. They think that if we left, the violence would, would not cease, but it would definitely decrease enough where they could start to govern, enough where they could start to police the neighborhoods, enough where the violence would come to a level that they could manage somehow. And that is what Bush does not want. He wants the people who are making the law in Iraq, the parliament, to fear their own people and the chaos in the streets until he gets these oil production sharing agreements, until he gets the embassy built, until he gets what he's now calling his lily pads built. Have you heard about the lily pads? They're calling it the lily pad strategy where they are going to have our, they do have our troops instead of in force. They've got them scattered at these outposts all over Iraq where they're being targeted. Jerry in Oregon. Yeah. So, hi, Randy. Hey. Um, yeah, amen to what you just said. But the problem that I, I'm a lifelong libertarian, and the last uh, couple of years I've been convinced to go with the Democrats and thinking that they're going to do the right thing for the country. And so we finally get them in Congress. And Pelosi immediately comes out saying, you know, we're not going to go for impeachment, knowing that all these bills that she presents are going to be vetoed, vetoed, vetoed. What we need to do, there's lots of things we can do to get rid of these guys. We can bring them to the nation's courts. We can bring them to the world. They're war criminals. We need to get rid of these people. Well, it's tell not... me what step one is, and I'll do it. Yeah, let's, do, let's 
let's bring charges against them. There's plenty, plenty of avenues that we can take. We can, we can bring up articles. And David or uh, Kucinich is the do only you, one. Do you have the power? Do you have a pa- the power of a prosecutor? Well, Kucinich is because only, only a prosecutor can bring charges against a, a citizen and. <laughs> There, there's there's lots of ways. Okay, so tell me the first step, and I'll do it. That's what I'm asking you. <laughs> okay, first of all, we can charge. We can, we can. We charge. can't charge anybody. Can't make a citizen's arrest of the president of the United States. So, what's the first step? And I'll do it. <laughs> well, I'm not a politician, which seems like all the Democrats and then Republicans. Stop That's all telling that. people that there's, there's a lot ways. we can do to get rid of them when there isn't. It's just a fact of life. Okay. It's just a fact of life. The House of Representatives has to indict the president if there's going to be an indictment. We call it impeach, articles of impeachment. That is how you indict a president, a sitting president, a sitting vice president, any of the president's cabinet members. They can be impeached, then there's a trial in the Senate, and they can be removed if found guilty. That's where president, vice president, and cabinet members are tried. financing this unspeakable war in Iraq and to do so on his terms. It is, in fact, a comment about betrayal. Few men or women elected in our history, whether executive or legislative, state or national, have been sent into office with a mandate more obvious nor instructions more clear. Get us out of Iraq. Yet after six months of preparation and execution, half a year gathering the strands of public support, translating into action the collective will of the nearly 70% of Americans who reject this war of lies. The Democrats have managed only this. The Democratic leadership has surrendered to a president, if not the worst president, then easily the most selfish in our history, who happily blackmails his own people and uses his own military personnel as hostages to his asinine demand that the Democrats give the troops their money. The Democratic leadership has agreed to finance the deaths of Americans in a war that has only reduced the security of Americans. The Democratic leadership has given Mr. Bush all that he wanted, with the only caveat being not merely meaningless symbolism about benchmarks for the Iraqi government, but optional meaningless symbolism about benchmarks for the Iraqi government. The Democratic leadership has, in sum, claimed a compromise with the administration, in which the only things truly compromised are the trust of the voters, the ethics of the Democrats, 
and the lives of our brave and doomed friends and family in Iraq. You, the men and women elected with the simplest of directions, stop the war, have traded your strength, your bargaining position, and the uniform support of those who elected you for a handful of magic beans. You may trot out every political cliche from the soft soap inside the Beltway dictionary of boilerplate soundbites about how this is the beginning of the end of Mr. Bush's carte blanche in Iraq, about how this is a first step. Well, Senator Reid, the only end at its beginning is our collective hope that you and your colleagues would do what is right, what is essential, what you were each elected or re-elected to do, because this first step is a step right off a cliff. And this president, how shameful it would be to watch an adult hold his breath and threaten to continue to do so until he turned blue. But how horrifying it is to watch a president hold his breath and threaten to continue to do so until innocent and patriotic Americans in harm's way are bled white. You lead this country, sir. You claim to defend it. And yet when faced with the prospect of someone calling you on your stubbornness, your stubbornness, which has cost 3,431 Americans their lives and thousands more their limbs, you, Mr. Bush, imply that if the Democrats don't give you the money and give it to you entirely on your terms, the troops in Iraq will be stranded or forced to serve longer or, what, have to throw bullets at the enemy with their bare hands? It is moronic. We have defunded wars before, sir, and this isn't even close to a true defunding. No harm has come to our troops. How transcendently, how historically pathetic any other president from any other moment in the panorama of our history would have, at the outset of this tawdry game of political chicken, declared that no matter what the other political side did, he would ensure personally, first, last, and always, that the troops would not suffer. A president, Mr. Bush, uses the carte blanche he already has, not to manipulate an overlap of arriving and departing brigades into a second surge, but to say in unequivocal terms that if it takes every last dime of the monies already allocated, if it takes reneging on government contracts with Halliburton, he will make sure the troops are safe, even if the only safety to be found is in getting them the hell out of there. Well, any true president would have done that, sir. You instead used our troops as political pawns, then blamed the Democrats when you did so. Not that these Democrats, who had this country's support and sympathy up until 48 hours ago, have not earned all the blame they can carry home. We seem to be very near the bleak choice between war and shame, Winston Churchill wrote to Lord Moyne in the days after the British signed the Munich Accords with Germany in 1938. My feeling is that we shall choose shame and then have war thrown in a little later. That's what this is for the Democrats, isn't it? Their Neville Chamberlain moment before the Second World War. All that's missing is the landing at the airport with the blinkered leader waving a piece of paper which he naively thought would guarantee peace in our time, but which his opponent would ignore with deceit. The Democrats have merely streamlined the process. Their piece of paper already says Mr. Bush can ignore it with impunity. And where are the Democratic presidential hopefuls this evening? See they not that to which the Senate and House leadership has blinded itself? Judging these candidates based on how they voted on the original Iraq authorization or waiting for apologies for those votes, that is ancient history now. The Democratic nomination is likely to be decided tomorrow. 
The talk of practical politics, the buying into of the president's dishonest construction, fund the troops or they will be in jeopardy, the promise of tougher action in September, is falling not on deaf ears, but rather falling on Americans who already told you what to do and now perceive your ears as deaf, as closed to practical politics. Those who seek the Democratic nomination need to for their own political futures and with a thousand times more solemnity and importance for the individual futures of our troops. Denounce this betrayal, vote against it, and if need be, unseat Majority Leader Reid and Speaker Pelosi if they continue down this path of guilty, fatal acquiescence to the tragically misguided will of a monomaniacal president. For ultimately at this hour, the entire government has failed us. Mr. Reid, Mr. Hoyer, and the other Democrats have failed us. They negotiated away that which they did not own, but had only been entrusted by us to protect our collective will as the citizens of this country, that this brazen war of lies be ended as rapidly and safely as possible. Mr. Bush and his government have failed us. They have behaved venomously and without dignity, of course. That is all at which Mr. Bush is gifted. We are the ones providing any element of surprise or shock here. With the exception of Senator Dodd and Senator Edwards, the Democratic presidential candidates have, so far at least, failed us. They must now speak and make plain how they view what has been given away to Mr. Bush and what is yet to be given away tomorrow and in the thousand tomorrows still to come. Because for the next 14 months, the Democratic nominating process, indeed the whole of our political discourse until further notice, has, with the stroke of a cursed pen, become about one thing and one thing alone. The electorate figured this out six months ago. The president and the Republicans have not, doubtless will not. The Democrats will figure it out during the Memorial Day recess when they go home. And many of those who elected them will politely suggest that they stay there and permanently. Because on the subject of Iraq, the people have been ahead of the media, ahead of the government, ahead of the politicians for the last year or two years or maybe three. Our politics is now about the answer to one briefly worded question. Mr. Bush has failed. Mr. Warner has failed, Mr. Reid has failed, so who among us will stop this war, this war of lies? To he or she fall the figurative keys to the nation, to all the others, presidents and majority leaders and candidates and rank and file congressmen and senators of either party, there is only blame for this shameful and bipartisan betrayal. Good night and good luck.
The latest New York Times CBS News poll showed that Americans now view the war in Iraq more negatively than at any time since the war began. Uh, all the more reason, you see, for the Bush crime family and especially the twit himself to uh, just stand there like like the little sad, arrogant punk that he is and say the things that he said today, which uh, we will share with you when we come back after the break at the top of the hour. Sixty percent of Americans surveyed said the U.S. should have stayed out of Iraq. Oh, really? Um, nothing like hindsight, huh, guys? Huh, gals? Six and ten, huh? I can remember when seven and ten said, let's go get the bastards. Remember that? More than three and four. Seventy-six percent say things are going badly there. Really? You think? Including nearly half who say things are going very badly. Um, Maybe next time, if there is a next time, the... uh, Grossly ignorant and easily manipulated American public will listen to the people who get out in the streets and beat the drums and carry the American flags and carry the signs and say, no war, no war. You think? But, of course, there probably is not going to be a next time. This war, Bush is right on this. The only thing, you know, I keep asking people, what has he been right on? Here's one. This war, the way it's designed, the momentum that it has, the funding that it's gotten, the graft and corruption it has created, the paramilitary mercenaries it has spawned, the bloodlust it has loosed, means that it is a permanent fixture for probably the next 50 or 60 years. You missed the Cold War? Welcome to the Hot War. My God. 65% of those polled disapprove of what uh, Bush is doing. 30% approve. Majorities of those polled disapprove of Bush's handling of the situation in Iraq. They disapprove of his handling of foreign policy. They disapprove of his handling of immigration. They disapprove of his handling of the economy. And they disapprove of the campaign against terrorism. So what? So what? A large majority of the public, another 76%, including majority of Republicans, say that the additional American troops sent to Iraq this year by Bush have either had no impact or are making things worse, which is why he's going to order up another 80,000 sent by the end of the year. You think September? Do you really think September... That's this magical date when Petraeus is supposed to issue a report to this thug. Do you think that's going to change anything? And by the way, isn't that telegraphing to our enemy a date certain when things are going to change? I thought we weren't supposed to. Oh, that's right. Only if you're a Democrat, only if it's a Democratic Party idea, only if it's written into a bill, then... We can't do it. But if it's part of the Bush crime family's policy, then it's okay. Um, I think all of us are are starting to realize the truth here. The uh, so-called 800-pound gorilla that sits over there in the corner of the room. What Bush and Cheney 
and their criminal gang have boost on the world is endless war. The hostages, the American soldiers who were taken, uh, what, 12, 14 days, I think on Mother's Day, five were killed and three were taken hostage. And uh, they found one of the bodies. One thing that no news reporting organization in America will report is the condition that body was in when they found it. They won't do it because the horror and the shock that would fall upon the parents and the loved ones of that soldier would be unbearable. But because of what Gonzalez and Bush and Cheney and every single miserable, murderous member of the Bush crime family has done, whether it was at Abu Ghraib, whether it was mountains of nude uh, Iraqi prisoners who had done nothing except get in the way of the American military machine, whether it was reports from Guantanamo or reports of rendition and torture, people being snatched off the streets and sent to foreign prisons, sent to ships sitting off Diego Garcia where they could be tortured in international waters. All of that has guaranteed that every single American who is captured will be tortured to a degree and mutilated to a degree that you and I can't even imagine, much less comprehend. The pain and the suffering of these 20-something soldiers when they are captured, when they fall into the hands of whoever it is we're fighting, the pain and the suffering that they are going to experience is medieval. It is beyond comprehension. And when their bodies are finally turned up, or when their bodies finally do turn up, It'll be impossible to look at that corpse and realize this was once a football player, a high school kid, someone's son. This is what George W. Bush and Alberto Gonzalez and Dick Cheney have done. And Reed and Pelosi, well, impeachment, you know, is off the table. <laughs> 